Titus, starting at chapter 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's really good to be with you this morning. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors at church. Normally serving at um, 8 o'clock in Kirribilli, where I was this morning, and at 5.30 Macquarie Park. But really nice to visit you here at 10 a.m. Neutral Bay. So uh, can we just pray and ask God for his help this morning? Father, we ask you to do your work today. Uh, We desire to be changed, uh, to have our eyes open to you and the reality of who you are and what you've done more. And Father, I pray especially for anyone today who is still wondering about their identity and where um, where you fit into that. I pray that you may do a work in hearts this morning to show us those things. In Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, my wife Sarah gave birth to our third uh, baby. Uh, We named him Ezra. And so now we have Eleanor, who's five, Josiah, who's uh, three, and Ezra, who's five weeks. And uh, uh, six years ago, I did not yet have the identity of being a father. I was a a husband, I was a friend to people, I was a son, I was a, uh, an uncle, I was, uh, had lots of other identity markers on my life, but I wasn't yet a father. So I had obligations to my friends to, to look after them and to, to love them. I had obligations to my wife to uh, love her and make sure she's cared for. I had obligations to the church I was serving in at the time as a pastor had obligations as an uncle, as a son, but I didn't yet have any obligations as a father. Um, But when my daughter came along five years ago, uh, I had this new set of obligations that are attached to my identity as a father. I had financial obligations. I had uh, time obligations, relationship obligations to her. And it's true, isn't it, that when you have an identity in life that certain responsibilities and commitments come with it. Well, today we're thinking about that as it relates to Christian faith. What, what does it mean uh, that uh, our Christian identity, uh, what, what sort of obligations does it bring with it? And we're going to think about that together. So we're going to think about three things, who we were, who we are now, and the commitments and obligations that we have as Christians. So 
Let's start just thinking about who we were. And today's reading tells us that we were once defined by our behaviour, by our old masters and by our attitudes. So let's think about the behaviours first. Uh, You can see them there in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient. Paul's just called the church to live peaceably, to submit to the authorities. That's what we thought about last week. And he's telling Titus, this church leader in Crete, to, uh, to command these things to the people. And he says, but remember, Titus, that you and I, we were also once disobedient and foolish. Uh, Christian teaching is never given from up on a pedestal down to other people. It is given face to face on the same level because we are all sinners. We all come from the same place. Every Christian has a past. And it might look like a different past, but we all have a past. And so Titus has to remember that. Titus and Paul and all Christians were once foolish. It means that we're without wisdom. It means uh, senseless, inconsiderate. It means uh, unintelligent. Jesus once said uh, people are slow of heart to hear God's word. That's what foolish means. Uh, he also, uh, Paul also said elsewhere that um, foolishness means just trusting yourself rather than God. That, that's the human heart, isn't it? That's what we're born into, this kind of self-sufficient life where we just live our own way. We refuse God and his grace and his word. And then there's the word disobedient here as well. Titus uh, has already used that word back in chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, he says, people are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That, that's kind of what it means. Our hearts have turned away from God, who is the source of all goodness, and therefore we now can't do good because we're disobedient. That's how we're born in this world. Uh, we are not born as Christians. We are born as sinners. God tells us that measured up against his standards, that we just don't measure up. We fall short. And so we're defined by our behavior. That's, that's how we were defined. We're also defined by our masters. Keep reading uh, the next part of the verse. At one time we too were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Now, if someone tells you that you're deceived and enslaved, you want to ask, who has deceived me? Who has enslaved me? And in this text, in this passage, it's not God. It's the devil who has enslaved people here. He uses our sinful hearts and our desires like a steering wheel to turn us where he wants us to go, away from God, And now immediately when I say that, someone's going to come to me and say, well, how can you talk like that in a modern democratic society? Now, how does that teaching have any place? The devil, how does that have any any place in Australia today? And uh, people maybe want to say, well, what's wrong with following your desires and following your heart and your passions and your pleasures? Isn't that actually the true me inside that I have to kind of unlock and then follow my heart? The Bible says to us that your true self is not found within. 
that in fact, if you look in your heart, you're going to find an array of desires that go in all sorts of different directions, chaotic desires. Can you imagine, just for a moment, what your life would look like if you'd followed every desire of your heart throughout your life? Where would you be right now? You hadn't said no to some of those things. You can't look within yourself to find your identity. Uh, that, That just takes us completely off track. But we all know the feeling of giving in to desires and pleasures of the heart. You're dragged into something, maybe you just don't even think about it, and then suddenly you're stuck. You're caught in some habit, some situation, some pattern of life. This is how the devil does his work in us. I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says, okay, at 9 a.m. I'm going to be rude to that person at the coffee shop. At 10, I'm going to lie to my colleague. At 11, I'm going to lust after the person on the street. At 12, I'm going to become greedy and um, you know, buy some things I shouldn't buy. And then I'm going to um, envy my colleague's watch over lunch. And I'm going to go home and get drunk. And no one thinks that way. It's just how the devil uses the desires and pleasures of our heart to drive us away from God. And our culture will call that freedom, actually, but God calls it slavery. When I was at university, uh, we did a mission week on campus with the Christian group there, and the shirts we wore had this fish bowl on it with a fish jumping out of the water with the with the question, is the fish free? In other words, if you do something and engage in a lifestyle or a way of living that causes your destruction, is it freedom? Well, the Bible calls it slavery, that we're under the control of the devil and his use of our hearts and our desires. We're also, once, we're defined by our attitudes We lived, it says, in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now, I don't know if we're going to believe that, are we? Do we really believe that that verse? I don't know if we, we can really face the fact that that is what we were like, can we? Do we really accept that description? I think we often think we're quite good people, don't we? And we think our society is basically made up of good people. Sometimes Christians cop flack for being haters today. And one answer to that is actually to say, yeah, I am a hater by nature. That is who I am in my heart. And so is every person born in this world. I heard, heard recently about um, one of our church members who is in a very respectable job in Sydney um, and his colleague said to him, we'll meet um, on Monday at the office in the city. There's another office that's right next to his house. And so um, they said, no, we won't meet there. We'll meet in the city. And so he trekked across the city to the um, office and then when he got there, uh, they called him and said, oh, no, no, we're in the other office today, the one near your house. And what do you call that? You call it gaslighting someone or bullying. It's just hatred, isn't it? 
Uh, we see it online. Apparently, today in schools, the number one concern amongst teachers is cyberbullying that the students uh, have happening in their private life. 42% of adolescents have experienced cyberbullying on Instagram, 37% uh, on Facebook. One in five students report having skipped school because of cyberbullying. And Jonathan Haidt, the um, American social researcher, has recently said that 30%, 30% of teen girls have seriously contemplated suicide in America. It's no wonder, is it, with that kind of behaviour going on online. And we could blame social media, but it's really just a place where the human heart is collected, where a lot of people are brought together. And so when you bring a lot of sinful hearts together, what do you get? And this is to say nothing about the scandals, the abuses in churches, religious groups that we've seen. But I think someone's still going to say, well, it's not that bad. This is just some people. It's not, it's not everyone. And uh, I'm sure we can tell positive stories as well, can't we? I heard this week a positive story of a man in our church who uh, was in the CBD for work and um, he actually got hit by a car. That's not the positive part of the story. But he got hit by a car and then the driver offered him a lift to the hospital, which he said yes to, by the way. I would, uh, braver than me to get back in the car of someone who um, hit you. But he, they took him to the hospital and they um, made sure he was sorted out and the hospital looked after him. And he said, I wondered if I'd died and gone to heaven because of how beautiful uh, that experience was. So isn't that an example of the human heart being good. Recently I read a memoir about a, a, a young woman in our hospital system. Uh, she grew up here on the North Shore. Uh, she uh, studied surgery. She she's went a long way down that, that track, that journey. Uh, but she was given ridiculous hours to work, uh, two weeks at a time with no break. Uh, she faced... Um, bullying and intimidation from colleagues. She was abused uh, mentally and emotionally and even sexually by a colleague. And when she tried to raise some of these things, they said, oh, you're just being an emotional female. And so you open the curtain just a little bit on our society and the human heart and you can see what things are really like. We can do nice things. We can build hospitals, we can have a good society, we can be caring. It's amazing how much we can do when we're paid for it as well. But it doesn't change our hearts. Sometimes the things we're enslaved to are just very mundane things. You know, just having a very small vision of life. This is the only people I will care about and not everyone else can get lost. This is the only sphere I'm going to put any energy into and I'm just going to focus on having my morning coffee and doing my exercise and this is me and we have no concern for the world around us. Isn't, isn't that what the human heart can be like? Listen again to what Paul says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. 
Without the work of Christ in our lives, this is us. This is who we are. This is how we're born. This is the, the skin that we're in. This is a description of our hearts. This is a mirror in our face. It's me. It's you. It's all of us. It's the Apostle Paul. It's Titus. It's every person who's ever lived in this sin-soaked world with our sin-stained hearts. That's who we were. Life without God. Life on our own, defined by our behaviours, our masters, our attitudes. But the second thing here is to think about who we are now. Who we are as defined by God's generous gifts. Christians aren't primarily defined by our lives of sin anymore. We now have a new identity. Primarily we're defined by God's saving work of us. Uh, imagine a boatload of people coming to uh, Australia and imagine you're on the boat and you hit a reef and you're all at sea hanging onto pieces of driftwood for a few hours until another boat comes past, throws ropes down and pulls you up on the, on the boat and brings you to shore. And imagine you come in into shore and how would they introduce you? They might say, these are the people that we just rescued, that we just saved from the ocean. That is how God could introduce us. These are the people I have saved. So let's think about the new identity. First, there is God's kindness and salvation. See verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It means that Christian identity, it, it, we, we bring nothing to the table, and yet God intervenes to save us. See verse 5, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done. I saw a video of people caught in quicksand, and uh, as they tried to get out of the sand, they just got stuck further and deeper, and as they moved their limbs, they just got sunk more and more down into the sand. And that's kind of what it's like if you try to save yourself by your works, by doing good things to get yourself out of the hole, back to God, you just get more stuck. We need intervention. We need God to save us, to, to come down and give us the hand out. And he's given us a wonderful love message in his kindness. And that message is named Jesus Christ. He is the expression of God's kindness and goodness to us. See verse 5. He saved us because of his mercy. God said the people, that these people aren't deserving, but I'm going to express mercy out of my heart of kindness. Christianity shows us that we were hopeless, but God gave us a future. That we were condemned, but God gave us a bright uh, days ahead, uh, that, that we were headed for God's wrath, but he gave us his mercy in the incarnation of his son who came to rescue us. So we're defined by God's goodness shown in his gift of salvation. The next thing we're defined by is the rebirth and the renewal. See verse 5, he, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. 
Christianity teaches us that we are stained and helpless and lifeless, but God gave us washing and he gave us rebirth and he gave us renewal. He completely reverses our predicament that we were in and brings us into a new life. And he does this through his Holy Spirit poured on us. The idea is that internally we have all these things happen. We have renewal, we have rebirth, and then externally through the washing of baptism, as some people are doing today across our church, that the outward sign shows what God has done in our hearts by his Spirit. The old life was defined by the behaviours, the attitudes, but the new life is defined by the work of the Spirit. I was recently have, have been meeting with uh, a member of our 8 o'clock congregation at Kirribilli who became a Christian last year in the Alpha course. And uh, probably the age of late 30s. And he, uh, he, his journey began when he was in a cafe, working in a cafe with his sister. They owned the cafe and then they found they owed much, too much money on it. Uh, they had these financial debts that they couldn't pay. They reached out to God in prayer, which they'd never done before. Said, God, if you're real, could you help us out of this? God miraculously intervened and the debts were essentially cancelled. And they got out of the situation and he said to his sister, we better go to church now because God answered our prayer. And uh, he knew someone at our Macquarie Park site. They said, we've got this course coming up at our church. He came along and he's been saved. And now he is committing his time. He's on a sabbatical and he's committing his time to reading the scriptures. To He's enrolled in Bible college. And every day he is thinking about God. He's getting to know God. His life is being transformed. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, the internal rebirth and renewal that he knows that he's been saved by Jesus and he's going to be baptised at Easter time. So there's the work of God, of rebirth, renewal, baptism, the gift of the Spirit. And lastly here, we're defined by God's goal for us, the new goal that we have, which is the living a life of hope. See verse 7, So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So we are justified, which means that God gives us righteousness, which is not ours, it belongs to Jesus and it's been given to us. We are still sinners, but we are also justified. God looks at us as perfect, spotless, holy, no blemish. And it's what theologians have called an alien righteousness in in the sense that it doesn't belong to us. It comes from outside God declares us to be righteous through his son's work. And at the moment you trust in Christ and his work at the cross of taking your sins, at that moment you go from owing a debt that was impossible to pay to being 10 out of 10 with God in relationship forever. That is the heart of the gospel, that you're justified, you're righteous in God's sight. And this new righteousness leads us to live a life of hope as we wait for the kingdom that we are inheriting. We are heirs of that kingdom now. And now we are growing in excitement and anticipation until we fully become heirs the day we walk through the gates of God's kingdom.
It's like when you book a holiday, you pay the deposit, you pay for the holiday. Uh, You know that you're going, you know it's happening, you've got the date in the diary. Uh, The day comes closer and you you might even start to research the place. Think about what am I going to do there, what's it like? And you start thinking about it, you start looking forward to it. You're living in hope of the holiday and then you get there and you turn the key or you unzip the tent and you walk in and the hope is realised. That's the Christian life, that we live in hope of the future that God has opened up for us. So once we were defined by our behaviours, our attitudes, our old masters, now we are defined by God's work for us, by his spirit, by his son. And the last thing here is we need to think about the new obligation that we have, the new commitment that we have from our new identity. And just before we do that, I want to I just ask you today, if you're not a Christian or if you not call yourself a follower of Jesus yet, or maybe you're just unsure, I want to ask you, is maybe today the day you want to commit to having this new identity? Now, you've come in here this morning, maybe agnostic, or you're not sure what you'd call yourself. You could go out of here today as a Christian, as someone who trusts the Lord Jesus for salvation. You could come out of here today as someone who's been reborn by the work of the Holy Spirit if you put your trust in Christ today. And if God's knocking at your heart today, I want to encourage you, you could take that step this morning. And I'm going to pray a prayer directly after the service today, after the sermon, where you could do that. There's nothing better that you could do than to come into God's kindness and grace and justification and love for you and to know that your future is secure because of the work that Jesus has done. With the new identity comes new obligations. Uh, There's one last verse here, verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. See, why has God saved us? Why has God saved you? It's to commit yourself to a life of goodness. And I don't know exactly what the good works God wants you to walk in are, but I do know that he's prepared them for you. And he wants you to walk in those things. In our 5.30 congregation at Macquarie Park, there's a guy there who, in a Bible study group a few years ago, they, they all realised we're all in the finance industry here. We've all got these skills. Why don't we use our skills to start a charity? And so they decided together to start a charity to work amongst the poorest of the poor in the Philippines, people who live on less than 50 cents a day. And they committed themselves to that good work. And now, a few years later, they've got a charity going, 600 employees working amongst the 7 million poorest people in the Philippines, devoted to doing what is good. There's a person at our 8 a.m. service in Kiribilli, and she just, I know that when I talk to her, I I can get an update on everyone because she just, in the congregation, just moves around. She texts people. She's always asking, how are you going? How can we be praying? What's happening? Uh, Give us an update. And the only reason why someone in that congregation 
would fly under the radar is that she doesn't yet have their number or they've failed to reply. That's the only reason. Her life is excellent and profitable for everyone. Uh, That's the kind of life God saved us for. There are people in our church, and I I see you uh, moving around at all all different things, but also hear about things happening uh, off off grid. Uh, You're praying, you're speaking God's word, you're loving others, you're serving others, you are following people up, you're having people in your home, uh, you are uh, in the community doing good things. And if there's no path for you to serve, you just cut a new one to go down. And if there's no opportunity to serve, you just make one. And I want to encourage you that you are showing off God. You're showing off his goodness by doing that. And I want to encourage you, just keep going. God sees what you're doing. And it might be up the front here at church, but it might not be. It might be in the hidden moments in your bedroom when you're praying. It might be the moment when you text someone and no one's ever going to hear about it. It might be the moment when you're just following someone up. But you show off God, you show off his goodness. And to those in the room who know that you need to take some more steps in that direction, would you join those others who are going that way? Would you pray even today, God, would you show me the good things you want me to do? And then start taking those steps. Would you receive God's gift, his amazing gift of new life, rebirth, justification, his grace, the expression of his kindness in Christ, and live this new life with the new obligations, new responsibilities that he has given you through what he's done for you? Let's pray. And as I pray, I'd invite you to join me in your heart. If today uh, you want to come back to God or come to him for the first time. Lord, we know that at one time we were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Father, we know that this is the way that we have lived without you. We acknowledge today that we've lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But we thank you for your kindness and love that has appeared in Christ. We thank you that he saved us, not because of things we have done, but because of his mercy. We thank you that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Spirit has been poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And we thank you that we have been justified by his grace and now live in hope of eternal life. 
Father, for those in the room who want to take hold of this today, I pray that you might work that miracle of grace in their hearts and that you might hear their prayers in their hearts now as they reach out to you and receive your free gifts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.